0: The Bible tells us that in the very near future, this planet, planet Earth, is about to experience a deception on an unprecedented level as never before. That deception is going to come in the form of two men. Now, most of the world will believe that these two men are good. But the reality is the Bible tells us that one of these men will be actually energized by Satan himself. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 1. It said, and the dragon, the dragon, of course, is Satan. He stood on the shore of the sea. The sea is the Gentile nations. Oftentimes the Gentile nations are in turmoil and tumult. And it said, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Now what makes Revelation chapter 13 and some of the following chapters difficult to interpret is quite often we're not sure whether the beast refers to the revived Roman Empire which is going to be the Antichrist Empire or the Antichrist himself and sometimes it refers to both of them. But what I find interesting is we're going to see the beast rising out of the sea, which means that the empire will be Gentile and the Antichrist will be Gentile. Also, notice it's referred to as a beast. You know, we are going to look at the Antichrist as a beautiful figure, a a great politician. We're going to look at his empire, the New World Order. We're going to think it's a fantastic empire. But notice that God calls it a beast. And, you know, one of the prayers that I pray every morning for myself is, oh, God, God, please let me see things as you see them. Not as the world sees them. And I don't want to live in deception. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns. Horns in the Bible equals power. And seven heads, and the question is, what are those seven heads refer to? Context, context, and context. Verse 2 will tell you that, but certainly Daniel in chapter 7 will also tell you that. And these seven heads refer to the seven great empires that God has recognized on planet Earth. They are in order. Egypt is number one. Assyria would be number two. Babylon would be number three. Medo-Persia would be number four. Greece would be number five. Rome would be number six, and the revived Roman empire is going to be number seven these are the only empires that God actually recognizes biblically and it said that it's also going to have 10 crowns on his horns meaning there's going to be 10 future rulers coming these rulers will rule with the antichrist over his empire he will rule over them He will be the ultimate authority. And then it said, and on each of the heads was a blasphemous name. So there's any doubt about... This empire, it's clear now, it's going to be anti-God and anti-Christ. Then we're told in verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard. That's a reference to Alexander's empire in Greece, but it had the feet of those of a bear. That refers to Cyrus in the Medo-Persian empire, but it had a mouth like a lion, and that's a reference to Nebuchadnezzar. And the great Babylonian Empire. So this future final empire is going to be an amalgamation of all of the previous empires. And it says, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The Antichrist and his empire, we are told, will be energized by Satan himself. Now, several weeks ago, we looked at Revelation in chapter 12. And we saw... That before Jesus' first coming on planet Earth, before his birth, there was a great cosmic mega sign that foretold of his birth. It was was like God was giving an announcement to the entire world, and we know that it's the star of Bethlehem. Skip, can you put that up? Now, I cannot emphasize enough. You know, when God is going to move, especially when he's going to move in a, in a, a worldwide way, he's... Let's us know. He lets us know that he is on the move. I say that God is the greatest of all communicators. Ronald Reagan may have been a great communicator, but let me tell you, the God of the universe is the greatest of all of the communicators. And the Bible tells us that God uses signs to tell us when he's going to do something new or when he's going to do something grand or when he's going to give a harbinger, a warning to the entire world. Do you remember what the Apostle John wrote in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3? It's almost identical to what we just read in Revelation chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. Skip, can you put up Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3? It says this. Then another sign. The Greek word for another is alos. It means another of the same So God is going to give us another cosmic sign, just like he did when Jesus Christ was first born and came to planet Earth. Now, here's the question. What is the point of this next cosmic sign going to be? John answers that question. He says this. Then another sign appeared in heaven. Now watch this. An enormous red dragon. That is Satan. And Satan has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. So just... Here, and just like we saw in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, we're being taught, we're, we're being told about the rise of the Antichrist and his empire. And again, both of them will be energized by Satan himself. Now, watch this. Revelation 12, 3 tells us this, this cosmic mega sign, this future mega sign, is going to precede. The rise of the Antichrist and his power and and, and his empire, just as there was a cosmic sign that preceded the birth of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this cosmic sign is going to announce the rising of the Antichrist and his empire. It is going to be a harbinger. Now, listen to this, not so much to the world, but it is going to be one to Israel and to the Jewish people. We looked at Revelation chapter 12. And in Revelation chapter 12, you see that Satan hates the Jewish people. Satan hates the Jewish people. And you know why Satan hates the Jewish people? Because from them came the Messiah. From them came the Messiah. As it said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it's the great messianic promise that Satan would wound the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah would crush the head of Satan. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, crushed Satan. He destroyed his power, and he destroyed his authority at the cross and his resurrection. And Satan absolutely hates the Jewish people. Have you ever wondered why the Jews are the most persecuted people on planet Earth? There is no rational reason why people hate hate the Jews so much. Have you ever thought about that? There's no question. they are the most hated, persecuted people to ever live. It's not rational. The only reason why it's so is because there's a malevolent being behind that persecution, prodding mankind, and that is Satan himself. And I find it interesting. I find it extremely interesting that when the Antichrist rises with his empire, the Jews are going to experience a persecution on a level they never experienced before. They are going to make the Antichrist and his empire are going to make Hitler and, 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 and Nazi Germany look like choir boys. That's how bad the persecution is going to be. And if you're reading the news, it's sad to hear this, but it just blows my mind. As though I watched the world turn against the Jews. It's so sad we don't understand the Abrahamic covenant. But let me tell you, anti-Semitism is picking up in the world again. You just read in Russia, you just read in the Middle East, in Europe, even in America, in South America. And that is tragic. But God is going to give a warning to the Jews. He is going to give them a cosmic warning sign before the great persecution of the Antichrist and his empire arrive. He's going to give them a warning that's going to happen. Now, the question is, what kind of sign? What kind of cosmic warning is he going to give? I mean, what would the Jews recognize? Well, it certainly wouldn't be in the sun and the stars because the Gentiles looked there. But one place the Jews do look is the moon is the moon in fact the reason why the Jews look to the moon is because their seven great feasts their seven great convocations are based upon the lunar cycle the moon Skip can you put that up You see four of the great convocations, four of the great feasts in the spring, and three in the fall. There's seven of them. The first one, by the way, is Passover, which is prophetic of Jesus' first coming. And the last is Tabernacles, which is prophetic of Jesus' second coming, and in particular, his millennial reign. And as many of you know, I've talked about the blood moons of 2014 and 2015, Uh, And a blood moon is, you know, very simply a full lunar eclipse. And what gives you that blood moon appearance is you have the sun, you have the earth, and then you have the moon. And as the sun's rays go through the atmosphere of the earth, it filters out all the colors of the spectrum except red. And so the moon appears in this red hue. Now, when we talk about, you know, uh, a blood moon... It's not that unusual. Even a tetrad, you know what a tetrad is? A tetrad is a series of four blood moons in a two-year period. That's really not that unusual. But what is unusual is to have a tetrad, four blood moons in a two-year period, where they fall on Passover and Tabernacles, Passover and Tabernacles. In fact, that's only happened four times in 2,000 years. Skip, can you put up that chart? It's interesting enough, the first tetrad of blood moons to happen on Passover and Tabernacles, Passover and tabernacles was at the death of Jesus Christ. Very intriguing. Now now you have to understand, I am a, I am a high skeptic. Anyone that knows me knows I'm terribly skeptical. What I find interesting is almost over 1,900 years passes before the next tetrad, the series of blood moons. And they happened in 1949 and 50. And interestingly enough, you say, well, what happened then? And, of course, what happened then is one of the greatest miracles of all. The Jews got their land back up to almost 2,000 years being kicked out brutally by the, the Romans in 70 A.D., where they just decimated Jerusalem and kicked them out of Palestine a miracle of all miracles happens. The Jews get their land back in 1949. They become recognized officially as a state, and a series of blood moons occurs. And then very shortly after that, another set of blood moons occurs in 67, 68. And what happened in 67, 68? We know it as a miraculous six-day war, and the Jews get Jerusalem back. And then all of a sudden we're going to have another series of blood moons in 2014 and 2015. And what I find intriguing, again, is again, I'm a high skeptic and I want you to know that there's not going to be a set of blood moons, tetras, for another 500 years that follow on Passover tabernacles, Passover tabernacles. So I've got to ask myself, you know, the Jews do recognize the moon. I've got to ask myself, is this potentially... You can make the decision yourself, but is this potentially the cosmic warning that God is giving the Jews of the rise of the Antichrist and his empire? I'll leave that up to you. You have to make that decision for yourself. But one thing I'm going to tell you is I am firmly convinced that the Antichrist walks the earth today. You may say, well, that's an outrageous claim, and how can you make that? I'll tell you how I can make that, because the Antichrist... Satan has his man every generation. Satan has his son every generation. You see, he doesn't have omnipotence. He does not know God's timeline. He does not know when he is going to be given free reign in that last seven-year period. So he always has his man ready. Who was the last man in the last generation? We absolutely know who it is. It was Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. There is no question that Adolf Hitler was possessed by Satan himself. And it really almost looked like, you know, Hitler and his empire was going to be the Antichrist in his empire, but it wasn't. But I am absolutely convinced that the Antichrist walks today. And the Apostle John tells us there's going to be something to distinguish him. So if you have your Bibles, look with me again at Revelation chapter 13, starting at verse 3. It says, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast." Men worshipped the dragon because they had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that he was slain from the creation of the world. We are told here by the Apostle John that their beast is going to have a head wound. You know, the question is, is he talking about the empire that's to arise or is he talking about the man? I think the answer is actually both. You see, most people believe that the Roman Empire died over a millennia ago, that it's gone that it no longer exists. Biblically, that would be untrue. Biblically, the Roman Empire just became dormant. It continued to exist throughout Western culture, and I've talked about this before. It's continued to exist throughout its politic. It's continued to exist also just uh, through architecture and whatnot. And the Bible tells us that at the end of days... Rome, who most people think is dead and gone, is suddenly going to rise again. The greatest of all empires is going to rise again, and we're going to call it the revived Roman Empire. Rome, ancient Rome, was the sixth head, like I said, and the seventh head is the revived Roman Empire. Now, the revival of the Roman Empire, you know, has been a dream of many, many Great politicians. In fact, here are just a few of them. Charlemagne in 800, he tried to revive the Roman Empire. He called it the Holy Roman Empire, but he did not succeed. Many of our founding fathers, in fact, envisioned a revived Roman Empire. Did you know that? Washington, Jefferson, Franklin. They envisioned a Roman Empire They thought classical Greece and classical Rome were the greatest civilizations ever. And if you go to Washington, D.C., you will see all of the architecture looking very Romanesque. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why one of the branches of government is called the Senate. There's a reason why our national symbol is an eagle. Napoleon also attempted to revive the Roman Empire. So did Mussolini and Adolf Hitler. But all of these people failed in reviving the Roman Empire. But where all of these people failed, we're told here in the Bible, the Antichrist will succeed. Why will he succeed? The reason why he will succeed is because, at least one of the reasons, is because we're told it looks like he will be assassinated. He will have a head wound. And then he will be resurrected. You know, what most people don't know about Satan is Satan, more than anything, wants to be worshipped just like God. And so what Satan does is he mimics God. He copies God. Just as there is a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is an unholy trinity. There is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false Prophet. And just as the father raised the son from the dead, the Antichrist is going to raise, or Satan is going to raise the Antichrist from the dead. And look what it says in verse 3 about that. It says the whole world was astonished and followed after the beast. And then in verse 4, we're told this. It says men worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast who can make War against him. You know, this, I read these words and it just, it terrifies me. Because so often we're so impressed with miracles and signs and wonders. Do you realize that Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to do miracles? Counterfeit miracles. And a lot of people are going to be fooled by these counterfeit miracles. You know, Jesus did not say, and you shall know miracles, and that will set you free, did he? What did he say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The only reason why miracle signs and wonders have any value is if they point you to the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of this book, the Bible. If the miracle points you away from them and someone does a miracle, but they point you away from the Bible and they point you away from Jesus Christ, it's a counterfeit miracle. Counterfeit miracles can occur. And I want you to know you're going to see and you're living in a time of great deception that's only going to increase and you're going to see more and more counterfeit miracles occurring. Now, here is what Revelation chapter 13, though, reveals about the Antichrist. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Skip, can you put it up on the screen real quick? It says this. Is that verses 5 and 6? Is it? No. We'll use the old-fashioned way, the Bible. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, language, and nations. All the inhabitants, now watch that, all the inhabitants of the earth at one point worshipped the beast, all whose names had not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, that's the reality. But you know what you're going to see visibly with the Antichrist? Listen to this. Now, you're going to see an incredible politician. You're going to see a politician who's going to appear like a, the ultimate peacemaker. You're going to see a politician who's going to make great promises to you, and he's going to appear to really care about you. You're going to see a political figure who's probably self-effacing, and you're going to think, wow. Wow. What a humble guy. But it's going to be in a facade. It's going to be a facade, not real. In fact, the Bible says that this political figure who's coming is going to be the most arrogant person to ever walk planet Earth. See, the problem is... We really don't understand and recognize what true arrogance is. And because we don't understand what true arrogance is, most people will miss identifying and seeing the Antichrist, this coming world ruler for what he really is. You see, when we tend to think of arrogance, we tend to think of Muhammad Ali. Skip, can you put up that picture? There he is. Remember him? I'm the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. I love Ali, you know. <laughs> the guy didn't suffer from low self esteem, that's for sure. The story, in fact, is told of this about Ali. Ali was on a plane one day, and the plane was about ready to take off. You've been on a plane, you know, the stewardess goes through the, the area there. And notice that Ali didn't have his seatbelt buckled. And the stewardess said, Sir, Would you buckle your seatbelt? And Ali quickly retorted, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess quickly said, "And Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) And my understanding is Muhammad Ali buckled the (laughs) seatbelt. Now see, we tend to think that that's arrogance. No, the Bible says he's just a windbag. That's what the Bible... It's just boasting. It's just boasting. You have to understand arrogance... It's much deeper. Arrogance is much more sinister, and arrogance is much more damning to the soul. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. It's in the Beatitudes. And said Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Fortunate. Can you believe that? That's what blessed means. Fortunate are you if you are meek, for you shall inherit the earth. Now, most of us read that, blessed are the doormats, for they shall inherit the earth. But that is to misunderstand the Greek entirely. You know what the Greek says? It says, blessed, fortunate are those who have been tamed. Blessed are those who trust in Papa enough that they surrender their will to God's will. That's what that is saying. Blessed are those who surrender their will completely to the will of Papa. Now listen to this. You know, the Apostle John, he wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote a letter called 1 John. And he wrote this in chapter 2 and verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard the Antichrist is coming Now watch this. Even now, many antichrists have come. The arrogant one, the coming world ruler, is coming. The man who absolutely refused to submit to the will of God is coming. You can be sure about that. But here's what's interesting. He said there are many antichrists now. And they are even in the church. Did you know that? They are even in the church. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. There are many now who are teaching and preaching that you can receive Jesus as your Savior, but he doesn't have to be Lord. That is arrogant. And that is, in fact, heretical. So here's the challenge this morning. W.C. Fields, Skip, can you put him back up? You know, W.C. Fields, I introduced him to you couple weeks ago. Some of you might remember W.C. Fields. He was a great comedian in years gone by. You would think the guy would have been kind of a happy guy, right? Kind of a happy man. The reality was he wasn't. In fact, W.C. Fields was an alcoholic. He died at the age of 66 of cirrhosis of the liver. Many don't know this, but in the sanitarium that he ended up in, the last couple of weeks of his life, he was bedridden And he began reading a book he had never read his entire life, the Bible. And one day as he was reading the Bible in bed, a friend came in and said, W.C., what in the world are you doing? W.C. Fields, in his characteristic way, said, I'm reading the Bible and I'm just looking for loopholes. Just looking for loopholes. And as I said three weeks ago, There are no loopholes in the Bible. There are no loopholes when it comes to obedience. God, now listen to me, will not tolerate, he has zero tolerance policy on arrogance. A absolute zero tolerance on arrogance. You say, how do you know? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus Christ, in finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, says this. Skip, can you put it up? Verses 13 and 14, very quickly. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to hell. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. And watch it, only a few find it. Many, many find the road to hell. Few only find the road to eternal life. What is the narrow road? What does it mean to be on the narrow road? Well, you know, Jesus answers that in Matthew chapter 7, just a few verses later. Skip, can you put those up? Look what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, one day we're all going to have a final review. You're going to stand before Jesus. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Please don't water this down. I only do this because I do care about you. I do love you. And I'll tell you, this is probably the most set of terrifying verses to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But only he who does the Father's will when it's convenient. No, it doesn't really say that at all. It means what it says, and it says what it means. Only those who are doing the will of the Father. Many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name? Did we drive out demons and perform many, Up oh, there we go again, miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I want you to know. See, what confuses people is there are religious people. No, there are religious people, and they do religious things. they are not born again. Born again, people see, do the will of the Father. They are fully surrendered to the Father. And there is a huge difference. Now, how do you know? Because Jesus said, I mean, everything is writing. Everything is writing." really. I mean, here's the objective benchmark. Is Frank Ray doing the will of God or not? How about you? How do you know? How do you know if you're doing the will of God? Anybody know? Real quick. This right here. It's right here. How you handle this book, by the way, how you treat this book, how you relate to this book will determine on your arrogance level whether you or I are really arrogant. You see, you know what a religious person does? A religious person occasionally picks the book up. No, they do. They And they kind of, you know, they thumb through it and they get a few suggestions out of it and then they close it up and they feel a little bit better about it. That's, that's, that's what they do. But see, if you're truly born again... If you're truly meek, you read this book as if your life depends upon it because you know why? It does depend upon it. And let me end with these sobering words, but challenging words. Dr. Arnie Coles, Skip, can you put them up? Dr. Arnie Coles is president of Back to the Bible. And Back to the Bible not too long ago did an incredible survey on the American public with respect to this book right here. And I'll tell you, it, it really, as a pastor, kind of did me in. And what they found about the American public in this book is somewhere between 9 and 12%. So let's just put it at 10%. Only 10% right around there of the American population reads this book, meditates on this book four or more times a week. And we're not talking five minutes. We're talking a half hour or more. I mean, really taking time, sitting down, meditating, reading, allowing the word of God to be absorbed into their lives. And here's, here's what they, I'm going to quote them, okay? Here's what they found: If you do not interact with this book, the word of God, it's more active than, 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 than any living sword. It, it divides soul and marrow. I mean, it is living. It is active. And it, here's what they said. They said, if you don't really interact with this book four more times a week, your behavior, now watch this. See, so you won't change. Your behavior will not change. You are just as likely to cheat on your taxes, commit adultery, get drunk, view pornography, struggle with bitterness, unforgiveness, and envy as people who do not read this book at all, end of quote. You see, this book really does, really does. Man, can you believe how it's all right? Here's the dividing line of humanity, those who really interact with this book and allow it to get inside them and those who don't. You see, religious people will read this book. But you know what gives away a religious person? You know, I mean, religious people can do a lot of Christian things. But you know what really, you know, just shows a religious person for what they really are, their true colors? There's two things they can't do. Pray. You'll find that they do not pray. I'm not talking about those quick arrow, arrow prayers in the car. Oh, Lord, you know, help me get to work on time. Oh, Lord, help me to find that parking place. We're not talking about that. All right. They can't, they do not really pray for any extended period of time, and they don't read this book with any regularity. See, you can't mimic. So religious people give themselves away. They tip their hand that way. See, in the, end of, in, in the end, a religious person is still really surrendered to themselves. They're still in control of their own lives. But you see, a meek person, a born-again person, gives themselves away because they are now saying, I no longer own myself. And you, what you'll see them do is they're dying to read this book. And they begin to sit down, and they begin to read this book. See, this is how God speaks to you. And then the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you. He'll begin to apply this. He'll begin to bring things to your, you know, to your mind that you, maybe you need to repent of. Maybe you need to deal with. Maybe he's asking you to do something, and it becomes an interaction. And see, as, as you begin to do that, the word of God gets inside you. It begins to change you. It begins to make you stronger. You begin to have a greater faith and a greater hope. And that's the person who begins to overcome Satan and the world and the flesh. This is the person who really becomes a vibrant witness for Jesus. And that's what it's all about. That's why we meet here Sunday morning. That's why we meet in small groups. That's why we keep challenging your respect to the truth and to prayer. To hearing from the living God, you get stronger and you get stronger and you get stronger. You do change. You can't overcome. I want you to know you can overcome. I'm going to challenge you. It's your, your very life's going to depend upon it as you go through. And you see the coming weeks and the coming days are what's going to be happening here in the coming months. So let me ask you this question in closing. What does your prayer life, and what does your interaction with this book? say about you. Father, we live in precarious times. We live in fearful times. We see what's happening. We just saw what happened in, in France. I think all of us deep down know it certainly will be coming to the shores of America. It's not if, it's just when. You also speak of a world that's in tumult economically, and we see that. And you tell us that out of the ashes of all of this will come a new world order and a coming prince, but he won't be a prince. How can we stand? How can we stand against a world that's turning against the truth? And Jesus, and you tell us the only way ultimately is for us to be in the truth and allowing the spirit of God to take that truth and make it come alive to our souls. And I'm asking right now, I'm crying out, God, that you will give each one of us a passion for you that will supersede every other earthly passion that we have and that you will give us an unceasing desire to meet with you regularly, reading your word. And just seeking to hear your voice. That's what prayer is, hearing your voice for our lives. May you speak to our hearts now as we close in this final song. I ask in his name.